need for revival. And as we sit here in 2022, we still need revival. How is that possible? Something doesn't seem to be connecting. So this is what I really want you to do. I want you to realize that it should not be possible for someone who loves the Lord and loves his word to set through any sort of preaching unchanged. Come on. But especially intensive preaching. So, I mean, every time we come to church, the word of God should be doing something in your life. And the word of God is never incapable. The sword of the word of God is never dull. The spirit of God is never weakened. He's never, he never slumbers or sleeps. So every time the word is preached, the spirit of God is working, desiring to take that word and to, and to penetrate our lives with it and to, in that time, uh, transform us in some way. And we know the truth of the matter is, is though while we may want to step into a phone booth as Clark Kent and come out as a Superman, the truth is, is that this is a series of steps. That it is line upon line, and it is precept upon precept, and it is here a little, there a little. And so every time we come, uh, we, that we should, be, we should be being transformed by the word of God. Is everybody with me here? And now we're almost to the end of another meeting. And you know, it's entirely possible that we're going to leave this meeting going, wow, that was good. That was fun. That was, that was interesting. Uh, uh, he's a, a very long-winded man, but I didn't fall asleep much. And, and nothing changes in our life. So I'm going to lay a challenge before you. <clears throat> of course, every service, we take time at the end to consider what God has said and respond to God. Can I say to you that's decision and commitment time often? It also can be worship time and thanksgiving time. Amen. Man, of what God does and as he's revealed just, just stirs you and reminds you of the goodness of God. Get on your face before God and begin to worship him. And so we have those times. And, and every time in any individual service that God deals with you during a meeting, uh, respond to God. And whether it's a decision, whether it be, whether it be repentance towards something or commitment towards something, come on, make that decision. And can, can I even say this? Declare that decision. Uh, let, let it be known that God is working in you and he's doing this and that you've made a decision that your life is going to be different now because of what God just did by his spirit with his word in your life. When you get to the end of a meeting like this, though, it's really necessary that you sit down while all of this is still kind of fresh off the fire and that we really look at t- two things, preacher. One is that each of us need to say this. You know, God, we heard a lot of God's word, and, and that means this, that there's something in my life that needs to be different. We don't have to wait until we're immersed in obscene iniquity to turn to God. When he moves, we respond 
And so I'm just telling you that by, before you come back to church Sunday, I mean, you'll be here tomorrow night, right? But when this is all over, before you come back to church Sunday, you should have spent Saturday and some time Saturday with the Lord. You say, preacher, another day with the Lord? Well, duh. I mean, you are sort of looking forward to eternity. All right, I got that out of my system now. I feel better. And you should be able to walk in this door on Sunday morning and say, God spoke to my heart through this meeting. And I know this needs to change in my life. But I'll tell you, there's another level. Because revival is not primarily an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. God wants to revive the body of his church. That we would have a, a, a different impact on our community and a, a different ability uh, corporately together uh, to, 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 to bring glory to God and declare his truth. Listen, I'm telling you that God wants to deal with you as a church, not just you as individuals. I get that they go together, but I'm telling you that as a church, if this meeting or anyone like it is to have any value, uh, there really ought to be something that changes about us corporately. Something that maybe was missing in, in our worship. Something that maybe, uh, you know, needs to be uh, strengthened or, or brought back. Something that might need to be gotten out. I don't know. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, attempt to set up here and give you a prescription tonight. But I would give you this challenge. Don't go through this meeting and a month from now be the same individually or as a church. The evangelist can't change you. Only God can do that. And the evangelist can't get him to change you. Only you can do that. It's your decision. I have the easiest job in this whole meeting. I just get to declare the word of God. But you've got to deal with it. And not waste all that God does. Is everybody with me? Two things. What does God want to change in me? And what does God want to change in us? Take your Bibles. Open to Psalms chapter number 58. I'm going to try to go quickly tonight, but not so fast that we miss out what God's doing. And I could change my mind partway through and go slowly. Psalms chapter 58, the Bible says, To the chief musician, Altasheth, Miktam of David, Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. 
as a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away. Like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Father, help us tonight. I know and acknowledge that this psalm, as we read through it, is very difficult to our ears and could be very difficult to our mind, to our understanding. And so tonight I pray that we'd have seriousness, uh, sobriety as we approach your word, and, and Lord, that we would have attentiveness, and that you would just help us to understand, to walk through, and to find the truth, and to understand what you've said, because God, what this is, is another thing. It's another marker. It's another truth that you've given us to put in our life, so that as we navigate through the difficult times of life, we don't get off the course of obedience. Help us, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing tonight. Psalms 58 is one of two of these miktam psalms that don't have a specific circumstance in the heading of them. The other one is the 16th psalm, which I referenced last night a little bit, hoping that you might be able to connect it. It does say this, though, let me remind you. It says to the chief musician, and then again, not a musical, um, not a musical direction, but a disposition or a use. It's the same word that we saw last night, altashith, meaning do not destroy. And saying this once again, that, that, that listen, God is giving uh, us something in our life that is necessary uh, to never be gone. Keep this always in a place so that it's a part both of the worship, uh, this song to the chief musician in the temple and the tabernacle and then the temple, but keep it in your life so that the truth is always present in your life. It really is tragic sometimes how casually we, truth, we treat the retention of truth in our life. This idea of Alta Sheath, maybe you don't get anything else out of this tonight and last night. Get this idea that what God puts into your life, God intends for you to keep in your life. And that when he's teaching you things in your life, that he's teaching you them not just because he thinks that you should come and spend a couple of hours at church each week and somehow doing that prove to the world that you're faithful. He's doing it to transform us. And he wants it to stay. And I'm telling you, you ought to be writing stuff down. I'm telling you, you ought to go home and go over things that you hear in church. Uh, you ought to sit around your table, uh, you know, after church on Sunday morning, having uh, maybe lunch as a family and say, this is what God did. What did God speak about? What did, what did God talk about? And, and we ought to be doing what it takes to embed these things in our, in our heart, our mind. Alta sheath. Do not destroy and we know it's also one of these miktoms, the engraved valuable things that are be put in a place that we can navigate through life as life turns sometimes upside down in them. But this one has no circumstance. And this one is also a psalm. There's 
lots of ways that psalms are classified. I know you know it. There, there are uh, messianic psalms that would uh, speak looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, and and there are uh, you know songs of degrees uh, that were used in a particular way uh, in worship and in uh, uh, drawing nigh to God. And then there are uh, these miktoms, and that's one classification. But this is also a song that a psalm that at least in part is something called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms, they're the hard ones. They're the ones that we read with the mind of a, of a, a 21st century American and go like, that, that, woo, that, wow, wow, that's pretty hard. And there's some of that in this psalm. As we read through it, no doubt, that there were some things that we read that you went like, what? And it is that. And, and it seems like this psalm is stuck in here. It has no, uh, no circumstance. And it seems really like David is mad and wants God to, to take up his part and kill everybody that's against him. Chiefly, I believe, Saul. And while there's no specific incident that is, uh, that is referenced in this psalm, it really is connected, I believe, or a follow-on thought to what we saw last night. Uh, and I believe that because of the way uh, the wording. Break their teeth again in verse 6, O oh God. We learned that, uh, that the lips and the teeth last night were that reproach the words. And, and I think that he's still talking about that which is just constantly coming at him. And all of that reproach that would both hit him and God. But he says this, listen, God, you've got to do something against these people. From the time we left off last night where David was in the cave and acts towards Saul in mercy and truth, and the time or the time that I believe this psalm would really sort of be written during is what follows between there and the end. So, you know, when we read these things, we, we do have a sitcom mentality. Uh, you know, some of you uh, probably don't like that, but... You'll be okay later. Um, and this is what I mean. In 30 minutes, hour, if it's a special, in 30 minutes you have a problem, a catastrophe, an emergency, and a solution. And we go like, ah. That's our mentality. Oh, you, you, you think I've lost my mind. You believe that voting in a new president will change the trajectory of the United States of America. Hasn't happened so far. Well, I mean, if we could just win this election, everything would change. The deficit would go down. The earth would cool or warm, depending on what kind of a nut you are. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, just everything would be wonderful. Doesn't happen. You want to know why? Because life is not a movie. It's not a storyline. Well, the Bible's not either. What I want you to know is that even though we see these circumstances where David makes decisions, and they're decisions about God and about uh, putting these things in his life that, that can guide him and guide us as we go through life, that that doesn't resolve all the issues of life. I said this to you the other day when we were in the 56th Psalm, that just be God, just because you say this, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what, that doesn't mean all of a sudden that all of the difficulties in your life go away. It means that God's changing you. And this psalm is during that time when uh, David has dealt with everything we've seen so far, and yet this trial goes on. 
David even goes through some ups and downs. And the cat and mouse game that they were playing, I think it just gets worse. And it gets, uh, Saul gets madder and more uh, angry. Madder? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a word. And more angry uh, all of the time that goes along. And, uh, you know, David is just, it just gets more and more intense and difficult for him and all of it. And it just, listen to this, it just never quits. And even though uh, those people that were out there, those 3,000 soldiers and Saul's words, clearly, clearly should have lifted all the reproach off of David's life, there are still those who won't stand up and do the right thing. And injustice and unfairness and difficulty seems to have no end whatsoever. That's when this psalm is written. That's why this psalm seems so difficult. Because we're not overcoming just an instance, but we're overcoming the prolonged difficulty that comes into our life that we really have no solutions for. So what do we do? I think there's a few questions that we should ask and answer from this psalm. The first one is this. When no one else does what's right, when I'm the only one doing what's right, and everyone else is not doing what's right, do I keep doing what's right? I know that we all know the answer. One of the cool things about us where we've come to, (laughs) cool, um, is that we have all the answers. Right? We do. We have all the church answers. I was telling someone the other day, when I pastored up in Idaho, we had like this junior church Sunday. And, uh, you know, what we did is we brought junior church upstairs uh, trying to get more workers and show the rest of the church who never bothered to go down there because it was loud and smelly uh, what was going on in junior church. And, uh, and so we put all the junior church kids in the choir loft and, and uh, uh, we did sang songs like they do and did all that. And then we played the game Zonk. Has anybody ever played Zonk? It's like a memory game, right? Uh, to review the lesson. And, you know, they ask questions about the lesson, blow a horn. The first one to stand up gets to answer. If they get it right, they get to come up and play zonk. Girls against boys. In our case, it was kids against adults, right? So the first question, I was doing this, and I said this. This was the question. Who wrote the Bible? Now, listen, I'm going to tell you, every kid that had been in our church for more than six months would have said this. Jesus! Because that's the right answer. Right. Well, I asked the question, repeated twice, the horn blows, and a girl down there on the end of the choir loft, front row, little bitty short girl, never seen her before in my life, is the first one up. I mean, by a mile. So I thought, well, okay, I don't know who she is, but I'll ask her. So I went down there, I had a microphone, she's a little bitty, I'm ugly, and, uh, and, and so I step up to her and I go, okay, sweetheart, who wrote the Bible? Stuck the microphone in her face. And she went like this. I didn't do it. (laughs) Some of you think that was the wrong answer. That was exactly the right answer, amen. I know that we, I know that we by default almost answer the question I ask you with, of course we should keep doing right. And intellectually, we all agree with that. 
But you and I both know that we are walking through times and we walk through times when even though we know the right answer is to do right, we need to be reminded of some things. David is going through this, and listen to what he says. There are a group of people that are called congregation here and, and counselor. Uh, so it's a group of people, or counselors, you know that, 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 uh, that, that know that they should be saying something and won't. They know that they should be standing up, and, and they should be saying, no, this is not right. And as Saul would continue to uh, crank up the pressure on David and the, and the hatred and the reproach that he would be trying to cast upon him, that they wouldn't do it. Listen to what it says. Do you indeed speak righteousness? This is rhetorical. Listen to this. O congregation. It's really one of the interesting twists. That word congregation is the word elem. We learned it in the 56th Psalm in Jonathan Elem Rehokim. And that word elem means silent. And he says this, there's a whole bunch of you who ought to be speaking up in righteousness and you're absolutely silent. You're not doing what you should be doing. You're not saying what needs to be said. You know the truth. Do you judge uprightly, he says, O ye sons of men? Ye in your, uh, yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. And you're sitting here listening to this, and you're trying to figure out something, I don't know what, how you can carry this out or not carry it out. But what you're not doing is you're not standing up and saying, this is absolutely wrong before God, and it cannot go on. You're just silent about it. When no one else is doing right. When no one else will take a stand. When everyone is, seems to jump on the bandwagon that's going the opposite direction of obedience to God. What do you do then? What if you're the only one? And David says, listen, do you, do you judge uprightly? Do you do that? The wicked are estranged from their womb. They go astray uh, as they be born, speaking lies. He said, listen, you're, you're, you're acting according to the wrong nature. And instead of obeying God, you're simply defaulting to the, to the thinking of the world and the, and the, and the pressure and, and tendencies of the flesh. And, and listen, just please hear me tonight, that, that it's true all around us that there are people who would be standing up. There are those in this room who, in cases in things going on in your lives, should be standing up and saying, this is absolutely wrong before God. Hey, listen, uh, grandparents often have to stand up with parents, don't they? And say to them, listen, this is the wrong thing. You're, you're, you're teaching your children the wrong thing. This is what God says. And yet often they're silent and say, well, I, I just don't want to get involved or anything. Uh, listen, when everyone else is being silent, when there are things that need to be said, Then he says this, there are those who should be listening who don't hear. If you look with me in, in uh, verse number four, it says their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. Most of us know that snakes don't really have ears, that they hear through vibrations, but, but which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. There are those who should be listening to the voice of God and listening to what's going on so that they might stand up against it. But it's just like they've decided not to listen. 
They stopped their ear. They just said this. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. Uh, the, uh, you know, it was a pastor not too long ago in a conversation, and he said this. Listen, I'm just like the, uh, what's that guy's name? I'm just like the Sergeant Schultz of Independent Baptist. Okay. I know nothing. I hear nothing. I see nothing. My heart broke. Because you see, there are a lot of things we ought to be hearing. So you have these people who know better. These are the people of Israel. They're the leaders in the army. They know David better. They know the covenant of God better. They, they know better. And yet his difficulty just continues on. And, and the reproach has been proven to be inappropriate towards David. All of that, they still, they don't do anything about it. They just keep on doing wrong. It's like they're, it's like they're settled into uh, doing the wrong thing. They won't hear when they should hear. They won't listen when they should listen. Uh, or they won't speak when they should speak. They're, they just sit there and go, well, oh, well, you know, what can I do? You can't fight City Hall or whatever it is. Listen to me tonight. These things should not be this way. Amen. And yet often they are. So what do you do? What do you do when you're the one setting under the seeming hammer of injustice, unfairness, constant difficulty, and those who should be standing up, those who should be speaking, those who should be doing right are not? What do you do? Can I give you a couple of things? Here's the first one I'd like you to get. Don't be that guy. Don't be the one that sits silent when they know to stand up and speak right. Don't. Okay, this is a little bit. Don't be the one that watches a young couple's marriage falling apart and won't stand up and do something about it. Later, you say things like, I didn't think they'd make it. So you knew to do right, but you were silent. Just, just don't be that guy, would you? Would you hear the voice of God, and would you listen carefully for the still, small voice of God, and, and would you seek even the voice of God in your life? And, and by all means, when things are not what they ought to be and they're not where they ought to be, would you stand up? I mean, would you be the one that, that says something? Would you not just be a part of a silent congregation that allows lives to go to destruction and wrong to go on and, and people to be overtaken uh, in these things and the next generation to be ripped out of our hands and, and are really taken away often from the service of the Lord? Listen, would you just be the one that stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the preacher here. Yeah, I know. And I don't care at all. Because it's far more than his job to keep our lives going forward. It's our responsibility. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, go to such a one. Well, let me tell you the second thing in this psalm. What do you do when... All of this wrong is going on. Your life is turned upside down. It seems to be hopeless and you're helpless. 
and no one else will stand up and do right. Well, first of all, don't be that guy. But here's number two. Tell it to Jesus. I knew that'd be the response. You, you just went like this. Oh, I thought I was going to tell something really deep. I did. Because, see, that's what, that's what David does here. Look at verse 6. He says, break their teeth, O God. This is the imprecatory part of the psalm. And he says some really hard things here. And when he says their teeth, O God, he's talking about those that are coming against him, that, that, he, that he calls serpents and, and those. Break their teeth, O God, uh, in their mouth. I don't know about you, but I've broken my teeth in my mouth before. That's not really pleasant. I was uh, the front of a line of kids in the third grade sliding on the ice uh, on the playground in Montana. And uh, they're all pushing me, and I'm thinking it's the greatest thing ever. I'm going fast and not working hard. And then the monkey bars loomed large. And I'm yelling, stop, stop, for about three microseconds, probably longer in my brain than it actually lasted. And the monkey bar's there, and I put my hands out to stop myself, and they all push me, and I go, Dish! It was cool. Blood, never mind, never mind. There's a time that we need to Give God the things that we can't carry. Tell it to Jesus. I, I, I know that, you know, we, we all, it's again, we all know that answer. And we know that, uh, I mean, come on, preacher, we know that. Give us something that we can use. That's the problem. This is the thing you need. You need to realize that, that you really have no, you have no authority you have no calling to try to address all the injustices in the world. You're not one that God has called to take vengeance for those who do wrong. Would you understand that? In fact, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not yours. Listen, we've been called, as we know, to deal with people according to God's mercy and God's truth. Listen, the only way that we can, that we can uh, walk through these prolonged times of difficulty and, and, and all of the things as we would discuss them is this, is that when we begin to actually cast our, our burdens and cast our cares upon Jesus, listen, we've got to tell some things to Jesus. We got to get on our face and, and listen, we got to probably start, stop sometimes being pious and just start being honest with God. And can I tell you this? When your heart's broken, would you tell God that? I think it's really weird that, that we're carrying all of these burdens and, and our prayer life often is things like, you know, good gravy, good God, good meat, let's eat or something like that. Or, or, or we just say, uh, we say the, you know, things, you know, uh, bless all the missionaries and bless all the lost people and, and help us to all live good lives. Man, those are great thoughts, but they're terrible prayer life. Would you be honest with God? When you're completely confused about what God is doing by the circumstances that are in your life, and really you're struggling not to be upset with God, and nobody else seems to be standing up to do anything, would you be honest with God? He already knows. It's funny. Okay, shh, don't tell God I don't want him to know that I'm all messed up inside. 
Would you pour that out on him? You know, David says some things here. I want you to look at them. He says, break their teeth, O God. Verse 7, let them melt away as waters which run continually. Do you get the picture there? So let them be like those waters. They're just here and they're gone. Break their teeth of the lions. Cause them to be gone like waters that run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. God, when, when the enemy pulls the bow back with an arrow and lets go, let the arrow just disintegrate. God, you need to, you need to get them. You need to be like a snail, verse 8. Make them as a snail which melteth. Do snails melt? Well, it's kind of a Hebraism here. But they uh, would call it when snails move, you know, they leave the, 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 the snot, I think it is, behind, whatever that is. And it looks like they're wearing out in that. And he says, let them be like that. Let them, let their lives be expended in the living of their lives. Get this over with. Let them be like the snail that melts. It's just done and over with. Let everyone pass away. Like the un- every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun. Cut them off in the infancy of their iniquity. And understand this tonight that, that God is, uh, David is not saying to them, to God, God, you, you, you need to kill my enemies. It sounds very much like that. But, but I want to introduce you to something I'm sure you know, but in Hebrew poetry, that's all of the Psalms. Hebrew poetry is filled with something called hyperbole. In other words, they make a statement about this, but they do it with words like this, okay? Uh, teenage girls do the same thing all the time. It was the greatest. It was amazing. It was wonderful. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's just so totally awesome. I've got to have it. No, it's just tennis shoes. Kmart brand, in fact. Oh. Walmart, sorry, wrong generation. So listen to what David is saying. He's not saying literally, God, punch my enemies in the face with your divine fist and cut their lives off as if they're stillborn children. He's saying, step in here and do away with their ability to oppress. Take up the part of your people and cut short their purposes and take away their effectiveness and make it not last much longer if you can, but just take away from them their ability to do all the things they're doing to me. Why? Because only God can. And what David is doing here is he's saying, God, this is more than I can bear. And I need you to step in. And I need you to, to, to cut them off. I need you to stop them from doing what they're doing. E- even though they might continue, that you would make them like when their bow is pulled back, the arrows are cut in pieces. That, that no matter what they try, that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't have the effect of bringing into my life discouragement and destruction and, and, uh, and stopping along the way in disobedience to God. Listen, God, you've just gotta, uh, you've just gotta step in and take away uh, their ability or their effectiveness in oppressing and doing wrong. Wrong. Just tell it to Jesus. You can't go up and stop most things. You can't bring justice and vengeance. 
What you do is suffer, it seems, often under all of these circumstances that are greater than we could create and greater than we can bear and that are completely out of our control. And here's what he says. Listen, don't get caught up with those that are doing wrong. Keep doing right. And don't do this. Uh, Don't just uh, keep it in. Don't try to handle it in your own mind. Just give it to me and let me be God. And would you just uh, take these things in your life tonight, church, and would you cast them on the Lord? You say, preacher, you have no idea what's going on in my life. No, no, I don't. You're absolutely right. And you could tell me, and I would pray for you, and I I would want to uh, help you if I could, but I really can't. Could I say this tonight, that I'm telling you that all around this place, that we ought to just be getting up and saying this, God, I can't do this anymore. You've got to intervene. You've got to intercede, and you've got to make it so even though they may not be doing right, but that you're limiting their effectiveness of the oppression against your people. Encourage your people. Stepping in. Tell it to Jesus and allow God to be God. I I like what verse 9 says. Before your pots can feel the thorns, He shall take them away as a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. And just another word picture. This psalm is full of them. But this one is of a of a, of a traveler who maybe stops for the night and begins to heat up his meal and he takes the thorns that would gather and, and begins to light them. And he says, listen, before the pots can feel the heat of those burning thorns, God steps in in a whirlwind and takes them away whether they be dry or green. Can I tell you this? Let God be God. Because when God moves, while you may not understand what the delay or your idea of delay is, I'm telling you that when God begins to accomplish his purposes, God moves quickly. Nothing stops the hand of God. And the only way we ever get there is as we go through these things and everyone else is doing wrong and and we're the ones trying to stand. I'm not talking about a victim mentality. I'm just talking about the reality of David's life and often of ours. That instead of joining in, we're not going to be them, but uh, that we would that we would uh, tell it to the Lord. We would cast those cares upon him and and, and we would uh, call upon him to make them uh, less effective. And we would trust God because when God moves, God moves. Stop getting tired of waiting on God. And understand, though, he may not start and do exactly what you think and when you think he should. I'm telling you that when God determines his purpose and God begins to execute his purpose, to glory be to God, it's going to be done. In fact, here he calls it vengeance. Verse uh, number 10 says, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked so that a man shall say, verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Listen uh, tonight, let, let God be God. And understand that God is going to move when God moves. And that when God moves, it's going to be clear to everyone that there is a God who vindicates righteousness. Amen. Stay on the path of obedience. We all get to choose our path, don't we? We learned this. 
And we can try to walk too for a while and think that it's doing some good. Listen, I'm telling you, when difficulty comes into your life and trials and injustice and all of the things that we've talked about, just uh, navigate from point to point about who God is uh, and and wh- how he acts. And, and, and would you do this? Would you just determine that you're going to follow God through this and stay on it and, and not let what everyone doing wrong get you on the path of doing wrong, but instead of that, uh, cast your cares upon the Lord and just trust him to move when he's ready to move and wait on him in confidence and in faith because when God moves the vengeance will take place judgment will take place God will get the glory out of all of this we deal in mercy and truth we let God to deal with the rest of it someone say hallelujah I'm not responsible for necessarily how all of this turns out. I'm to cast it upon him, and I'm to trust him. And when he moves, he moves quickly. And when he moves, he glorifies his name, and that people will say this. Now, I do want to caution you about this tonight, that when it says this, that the righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance, you hear me tonight, that that's not you and I being called upon when God begins to move, and there's harm that comes into someone's life, uh, perhaps, that we go like, yeah, boy, I'm glad they got that. That's not what that that says. What that says is that when we see God move and vindicate his holiness and his righteousness, that we rejoice in the fact that God has glorified his name in our lives. And that all of those things that we've gone through and may still go through that they were worth it all because God got the glory. But it only happens. It only happens that God gets the glory, that his justice is able to be demonstrated. His time and his way, it only happens when we stay on the path, cast these things on the Lord, and let God be God. Your preacher and I were talking today, you know, between landscaping things. And uh, we're talking about some circumstances that had gone on in our life. I told him about one. I told him I thought my wife had probably helped to save our ministry or ability for access to ministry years ago. We were planning a church and And a man began to go around to other people and say things, not so much about me, but about my oldest daughter and another girl or two that were in the church. They were vile. They were vile things. It had gone on for some time. I didn't know about it. Finally, I'm sitting in my office at the house one day, and my phone rings. It's another man in the church, and he said, Pastor, I think you need to know about this. And he told me some of the things they were saying, and I I wouldn't repeat them, even if you wanted to hear them. But I'm telling you, it made me so mad. I mean, if you knew any of these girls, especially my daughter, you'd know none of that was true. This was just a vile man oppressing the work of God and, and doing harm to God's people, and one of those God's people was my daughter, and and I'm telling you that I, I, was just, I was just enraged. I got up out of my office, went to my room, began to change my clothes. 
my wife come in, came into the room and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I got, I'm going, I got I to gotta go deal with this. I told her what had gone on. She said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, it's simple. I'm going to drive to this man's house, him and his family. I'm going to knock on his door. And when he opens the door with a big grin and goes, hey, preacher, I'm going to grab him out of his house. And I'm going to throw him in his front yard. And I'm going to beat him until he's dead or broken. You say, preacher, that's just hyperbole? Oh, no. That was exactly what was in my heart. My wife looked at me and she said, you can't do that. It's not the right thing. And I said, stand aside, dear. I can do it. I know how. And I got in my truck and headed out that way. Got about halfway there in between God reminding me of the words of my wife and his spirit by his word. I pulled over on the side of the road in a little community called Huachuca City, Arizona. Broken. I couldn't drive anymore. The tears were so heavy on my face. I just couldn't even see. I pulled over there and I begged God to forgive me and to give me a right heart. And I asked him to just take this in his hands. It's yours. And he did. And the immediate thing was that, you know, he moved them out of our church. And I was glad he did it. I wanted to. But he did it. And he began to heal the things that were said amongst other people. And I was glad he did that. And we moved on and turned the church plan over. And... Moved to the Denver metropolitan area to work in a recovery work of a church. And some years went by. And I'll be honest with you, there were times that I heard about this that I'd just be like, I should have. But then I heard this. That the day, today the man sets in federal prison convicted of child molestation and several things like that. I was his pastor. I'm not at all happy about that. He left a wife and four kids. One of the girls was one of his targets. A broken family. Really destroyed lives. I don't rejoice and dance around in that. But I will tell you this. Through all of that, God got all the glory. God did all the work. And everything that went on was God's hand so that the world could say, oh yeah, there's justice in God. There's vindication for the righteous. And there's judgment in God. And he received the glory I don't tell you that because we're anything I tell you that because there really is only one way that God will get the glory from the difficult things in your life and that is when you don't let them make you do wrong 
But you tell them to Jesus and you let God be God. Now let me take you one more place and close. And I want you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of 2 Timothy. What David went through, no man should have to go through. God did, in fact, though, allow it and, I believe, use it for his glory. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, some of you are very familiar with this, but please just follow along and listen closely as I read. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, uh, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, for theirs also as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. Can I just say this to you, church? Those days are our days. And here's what it says happens. They become worse and worse. And as the Lord would tarry, we will face an ongoing I believe, push against biblical Christianity and the name of Jesus Christ and our liberties and some of the things that we've taken for granted will be robbed from us simply because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And none of it will be fair and none of it will be just. And you'll have to decide, like he says, whether you'll live godly in Christ Jesus or whether you'll succumb to their terms. You are going to go through things in your life. And I believe we, as the Lord tarries, will go through things that are extremely unthinkable to us. And nobody will stand and do right. And you'll flee to authorities who should protect you, and they'll arrest you. Say, that couldn't happen. Go to Canada. It's happening now. And you'll have to decide, what do I do when everyone else is doing wrong? Why don't you decide tonight? Not then, now. 
that you're going to make some commitments and erect some things in your life. That when everything is turned upside down and things are not at all just and not at all fair in your life and you can't see the way through them, that you're going to do this. You're going to lay that on Jesus and you're going to cast it on him and you're going to trust him uh, and let him be God. And you're just going to rejoice in what God does that you could never do and only he can. So that all the world may know that there is vindication for the righteous and that there is judgment in our God. I'm telling you, we will capitulate in the moment if we haven't already decided to walk along the path that is lengthened for us tonight by the 58th Psalm and erect this in our life, no matter how difficult, no matter how upside down, that I'm going to choose to make this truth present and everlasting in my life, that when this gets hard, I'll put my cares on Jesus and I'll let God be God and I'll just keep obeying him because I trust him to work all of this out his way and his time. But if you don't choose it now, you'll be well into the road of compromise before you realize you've been overtaken and you'll want to get back and it will be difficult. Put a, put a monument in your life tonight that says cast your cares upon the Lord and let God be God. Some of you right now are stumbling through trials. Could I have you do this tonight? Could you just come to this altar? And could you tell it to Jesus? And would you begin to trust him, really, to do what needs to be done? And let God be God. And just walk in obedience through what you're going through. Knowing that God is the one who vindicates and God is the one who justifies and that he is on the throne. Tonight, we decide how we face the challenges of both today and tomorrow. And we must face them by this unremovable truth. Let God be God. Stand with me. Father, thank you. I know, Lord, that some of these might seem like micro steps, but the truth is, is that all around this room, we need, to, we need to be coming to you. We need to be admitting where we're at. We need to be casting some burdens upon you, and we need to be committing our lives to no matter what comes along, what the storms would look like, what the challenges we face are, that instead of dealing with them our way, we'll deal with them yours. That as we walk through them and they're prolonged and they don't go away, that we would just cast those burdens. We would tell it to you. We would ask you to intervene and be honest with you in our life. God, we trust you. And we just let you be God in our life. We not search for a plan B. There is no plan B. But we would trust you enough that when our families are struggling, when our health is failing, when our government is is falling, when our economy is imploding, when our church might be under attack and reproach, that we could cast our cares upon you and we could trust you and we could let you be God. Help us tonight, Father, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The piano begin to play. The altar's open for you tonight.
say, preacher, it seems less tangible than the others. I know, because often we're so deep in before we realize the trouble that we never take time to consider and turn to God. Would you tonight say this? I'm not walking through anything for my glory, but I'm going to give it all to him and let God be God. You come tonight. If you need spiritual help tonight, come and ask. But you come and stay on the course of obedience with God, no matter what comes.